tonight we're looking at how Jesus grew leaders, how he picked people, chose them, set them apart, and sent them out. And this is the, the topic, kingdom training, kingdom training. And if you were here last week, give us a wave. So a few people were here last week. I bet you were here last week, you were speaking. Uh, and it, it was talking, I think, about uh, Peter and how Peter was called. And uh, Peter was there doing his fishing and all that sort of thing, and uh, he wasn't catching anything. And Jesus said, chuck your net over the other side. And, and suddenly he's got a, a net full of fish, and he goes, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus goes, actually, follow me instead. I'm, I'm going to make you have a whole new identity. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Um, and one of the, the great things about Jesus' school of leadership is he chooses some really unlikely people who are pretty convinced that they're not worth choosing in the first place. Isn't that amazing? Um, look around at someone around you and go, were you worth choosing? <laughs> Were you worth choosing? You, you, can do, you can do that to someone. Just do that to someone near you. Were you worth choosing? Were you? So that's a pretty cruel thing to do, isn't it? But Jesus picks people who weren't sure um, that they were worth much at all. If you've watched the Rob Bell video on the fishermen and how they get called, there's, uh, there's his best of the best of the best bit where he talks about how the fishermen weren't the best of the best of the best. They weren't the best of the best. They weren't the best. They weren't even average. They were, they were worse than average. And that God chooses someone like Peter. Well, come to today's passage, uh, Luke chapter 6, and we, we get onto the place where Jesus is going to choose the full 12 of his first disciples. Uh, we notice a few things about these disciples straight away. Uh, one is they're all male, and we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, the second is that he spends a whole night praying before he decides who's going to follow him. Big, big thing. And the last thing that really leaps off the page is his failure rate. Uh, right at the end of it, introduces one of them as being the one who became a traitor. Not was a traitor already, but after three years of careful training by the master of the universe, uh, becomes a traitor. <laughs> Um, so he's got a failure rate. He's chosen a, a group of guys, and he's spent a whole night praying before he chooses them. Um, let's, let's pick out that one by one. Why does he spend a whole night praying? These are people who have already gathered around him. They're already trying to get in on the act. They've already seen him do incredible things. Why the pausing to pray? Surely when you look around any given room, you can see the people who are unbelievably talented straight away, can't you? The ones who just stand out from the crowd, the ones who have got that natural magnetism, that charisma, and you're like, yes, they're the people that we need. Um, number one, Prudence is always doing interviews for people, and right in that first minute, surely you can tell who you're going to have as your deputy head teacher or, or some other such arbitrary position, um, for example. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just go, yeah, I know, I've got the guys. He takes his presumably long list of candidates into prayer through the night, and says to Father God, you know, how about this one? How about this one? And over the course of a long, long evening with his dad in heaven, he knuckles it down to 12. I wonder who got excluded from the 12 in that conversation. I wonder if there were any superstars who got knocked out. Maybe there were some for whom it was, yeah, they're definitely going to be important, but it's not quite yet, son. <laughs> Wait till after the resurrection. They're going to come into play a bit later on. Maybe there, there were others who just looked brilliant. It's like, no, <laughs> really don't want them at this time. 
mean, whittles it down to 12. Some fishermen, a tax collector, a terrorist, and a guy who's going to be a traitor. And God's helped him get there. I think one of the things is that we, we sort of look at people and we go, yeah, you're it. Or look in the mirror and go, yeah, you're not it. <laughs> and God looks inside. And for us to get the inside view of someone takes a real stillness and a real discernment. And getting past our massive prejudices, which we bring to almost any given gathering, so much easier to see someone where you can say, they're like someone I know, or they're like me, and try and nurture them into a leadership position, than it is to think outside the box and go, actually, maybe a terrorist is the right person to help lead the church forward. Judas, the, the terrorist. So that's what Jesus does, and he, and he goes through it. It reminds me of Saul and um, choosing King David. Do you remember he goes to Jesse's household and goes, is it this one, this huge, handsome bloke? Is it the next one? Is it the next one? Is it the next one? Is it the small one? It's not even the small one, Dennis. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a, a kid who's out being a shepherd elsewhere who gets chosen. And it says in that Bible passage, humans look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And somewhere God wanted to look on the heart. The other clue in, in this little passage is where it talks about Peter. And it says he was called Simon. Um, but Jesus calls him Peter. He names him Peter. What's that about? Simon is a perfectly reasonable name. If you happen to be in love with someone called Simon, there's nothing against the word Simon here in this passage. It just happens to be that Peter means rock. And Simon has got a whole load of baggage in his life. Anyone got some baggage going on? That sort of inner voice going, I'm not so good. I keep getting overlooked. No one calls me up the front to pray for me and anoint me for things. It's always X or it's always Y. It's never me. And he looks at Simon and he sees the baggage that's behind the bravado and goes, actually, son, you need to know that I see you as a rock. Actually, you're flaky as anything, <laughs> but you're going to be a rock. And we're going to get through a journey together where you will be a rock. It's the amazing thing about Jesus. He prays for people. He sees into their heart. He doesn't just choose the dead certs. He chooses the people that he knows will be something when given the power that they're going to need to get on with it. Okay, so what does he do next in his school of training? He takes them on a journey, uh, and in the journey, first of all, he sends them to theology school, and uh, he gives them the sermon on the plain, and he learns about blessings and woes and judging and loving and trees and fruit and wise and foolish builders, and then he demonstrates how to do the job of being a Messiah. Uh, so he heals a centurion's um, uh, a servant, and then he raises a widow's son, and then he uh, does some more teaching, and then he uh, has this incredible encounter with a sinful woman, then he teaches them, importantly, the parable of the sower, uh, other things, uh, calms a storm, heals a demon-possessed man, uh, heals a woman, raises a dead girl, and then once they've been in this intense training camp, he goes, all right, guys, over to you. And he calls out these 12 guys and says, boom, off we go. You're going to go and do the stuff now. You're going to go and do what I've been doing. Before we get onto that, we mentioned that it's 12 blokes. Uh, and why 12 blokes? Well, over the next three years, they're going to be doing all sorts of stuff together, including, as we know, sleeping in 
uh, the Garden of Gethsemane on the regular occasions, sort of camping out together and that sort of thing. And culturally, um, imagine the analogy with Lord of the Rings. Anyone seen the film Lord of the Rings? Anyone like the Lord of the Rings? If you were writing the Lord of the Rings in the 21st century, I can guarantee it wouldn't have the same plot and the same story. You know why? The fellowship, clue on fellow, <laughs> fellowship of the ring is all male characters, isn't it? Perfectly acceptable in the 1950s. If you're writing a heroic story in the 21st century, it ain't going to be complete without a strong heroic female character, is it? You just don't get those stories anymore. You don't get all the nice, strong princes rescuing the princesses. You get Shrek, where the bloke's a total wimp and the woman's saving them. You get Peppa Pig, where Daddy Pig is a useless runt <laughs> and Mummy Pig's in charge. Culture has shifted massively in just the last 60 years. Uh, what was acceptable 60 years ago is no longer acceptable. Um, the, the heroes of our story are right across the picture. Back in the first century, um, there was a prayer, which you may have heard. It says this. It's a, a bloke's prayer, and it says, God, I thank you that I am neither a dog <laughs> nor a woman. <laughs> that was the culture in the first century. You might say, that's not a very nice culture. I would agree with you. It's not a very nice culture. But that was the culture. Also a culture of getting married very young and, um, and uh, being off in, in a married relationship. And anyone who would be going off with someone of another gender who they weren't married to in any way was questionable activity. Do you remember when Jesus meets the woman at the well? And the disciples come back and go, you've been talking to a woman. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. It was a big issue in the culture. Men and women couldn't just be hanging out together publicly. Uh, yeah. Why are the 12 all men? Well, on the journeys they're going to go on, places they're going to go to, it would have been utterly outrageous if that was a mixed gender band of people. Does that mean that leadership should just be male today then? Does it mean that um, Stephen should be Stevina, Dennis should be Denisina, I should be Ricarda? Um, is it Denise, Denise, I should have scripted this better. Uh, Denise would have been, would have been, and Stephanie. What, what should we do for Richard? Anyway, we can think about that for the rest of the talk. Um, <laughs> um, I have no idea where I was going with I'm just totally lost now. That's, that's awful. Um, is, is it just for men? And clearly, um, the answer is, surprisingly, in the first century even, no. I mean, it's so radical. Look in at chapter 8. Look in chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8. It took me 20 minutes to find this this morning in the middle of my talk at St. Albans. I now know where it is. Chapter 8, the 12 were with him, verse 1, and 12 were with him. And also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons have come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, even though it was hugely culturally inappropriate, Jesus had around him a band of female disciples as well, who were learning from him. And we'll see at the end of Luke's gospel in the resurrection narrative, that the women become the first witnesses of the resurrection, the first apostles of the resurrection. They're the ones who get it much quicker than the men. So even in the first century, even with the cultural baggage 
Jesus is already subverting the can women do it thing. Saying, yeah, actually, I am going to let women, as well as men, learn from me, be my disciples, and ultimately be my sent ones. And there's a whole bigger narrative that we could do on that. But that's all we need to touch on, I think, for tonight. Although do ask questions about it later on. And Dennis will be happy to give you more answers, I'm sure. So Jesus um, calls the 12 together, chapter 9. And he says, go and do this stuff. You say, what stuff? He goes, well, go and do what I've been doing. So he gives them something. He gives them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Power and authority to drive out all demons and cure all, all, all diseases. What an incredible download from Jesus. Now let's try and unpack why has he done this? What's the purpose of Jesus doing this? Well, he explains the purpose. Next verse, he says, right, because I've given you this power and authority, um, go and preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Preach and heal. Preach and heal. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick. That's why I've given you this power and authority, so that you can explain who I am, explain what the kingdom's about, and demonstrate it by healing people. That's his recipe for a missionary life. Go, don't take anything with you. Let people look after you, accept their hospitality, hang out with the people who like you, <laughs> hang out with the people who are going to give you the time of day, rest with them, and then use the gifts I've given you. So then when they say, how come you're doing these amazing things among us, you go, it's the kingdom of God. And that model, even apart from the power side of it, that model's totally replicable in your, in your life tomorrow. At school, at college, at work, in your, in your homes, in your life places, it's totally replicable. It's basically saying, look, rock up to wherever you're going. Find the people who like you. <laughs> Find the people who want to hang out with you. You don't have to go to people who don't want you. You just hang out with the people who, who want you, the people out there, not just your mates who you already know, but go. That's the first thing, go. Hang out with the people who say, you know, peace back to you. You'd say shalom if you're a Jewish. If you're from Wolverhampton, you go, you're right. I don't know what you do if you're from Acton, but there's probably some little coded word. Um, from Chiswick, no, how do you do? <laughs> um, and if they say, how do you do back again, then, then they probably like you. They might not, because they might be English. They might just be being polite. But you can probably, after a while, work it out whether they like you. Hang out with them. Use the gifts that God's given you. And if they go, how come you're just being so incredibly kind and going the second and third mile metaphorically for me? You go, ah, oh, did you know where that expression comes from? <laughs> that comes from this guy who I've been trying to follow. It's called Jesus. Actually, he's made a huge difference to me. And she go, no way. You go, yeah way. You go, no way. You go, yeah way. You go, no way. You go, yeah way. You go, yeah, he's made a big difference. Do you want to know a bit about him? They're like, yeah, all right. Because most people now don't know enough about Jesus to have rejected him. Have you noticed that? They're all pig ignorant about Jesus. <laughs> they don't know that he died. They don't know he rose again. They don't know he was a historical figure. They don't know anything. So generally, there's a bit of an open door. Like, oh, yeah, you made a difference on me. The, the second mile guy. Now, okay, so that's just a general principle of using your gifts, which could be hospitality, service, kindness, being a great teacher, being a great boss, whatever it may be. Now, imagine that also... You're bringing the tangible demonstration of the kingdom with you. And gifts of power. It might be a speaking gift of power. You might say, ah, you know what? 
I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but have you had a hard weekend? They go, oh, crikey, how did you know that? Um, am, am I looking bad? And they know yeah, you're looking wonderful. Um, but I just had this nudge when I was praying for you this morning. They're like, what? You were praying for me? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I was praying for you because I really like you. I, I, I pray for people I like. Oh, that's really nice of you. And I just had this sort of nudge that you, you just might need some encouragement today. And I just want to tell you, you've really made a big difference in my life. Uh, and they go, oh, it's funny that you said that. I've just had a crap weekend. <laughs> Life's falling apart, and I didn't know if I could carry on in my job. And you go, oh, well, maybe that's why God gave me that little word for you. And they go, well, you think that was God? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God likes to encourage everyone. So like, you'll even be interested in me. Well, no, actually, this guy Jesus that I've been following <laughs> was interested in all sorts of people. Not the religious people, really, just normal people. That's really interesting. Who? Tell me more. Do you see? So that's if you're using a revelatory gift. You, you don't rock up and go, I've got a prophecy for you from the Lord. <laughs> you sort of tease it in. See if it lands with people. Don't overwhelm them by your weird religiousness. <laughs> be friendly in conversation. See what happens. Might be that they're ill and you just say, you know, we, we pray for people for healing in our church. Would, would it be right if we pray for you? And then just go, well, um, and, you know, if you need anyone to go to a hospital appointment with you, I'd love to help you with that as well. But um, uh, can I just pray for you? God, please just bless this person and please heal them in Jesus' name. Um, most people aren't offended by that. They're kind of excited. Just last week, I was um, at a New Wine Leaders Conference, and there was a, the story of New Wine Wales being told there. And uh, it's, it's really quite a wonderful story. Who's from Wales here? Any, any Welsh? Tom, uh, apparently Welsh leaders are quite dysfunctional and the country's quite dis divided. I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but, but this is what the guy was saying. He's saying that to try and get a few Welsh leaders in the same room is really, really difficult. Um, and Wales has been a place where God's done incredible revivals down the years, um, amazing moves of God's spirit. And a few years ago, a guy called Bruce Collins retired to Wales and invited some leaders together and said, I think you guys should try and help out the rest of the church. And they sort of got the vision, uh, and they started to hang out together, and they had a little conference they went to in the summer, a small conference, and they said, oh, I think we should close this down now um, and invest the energy into local churches and try and really help people to do the kingdom stuff. And so that's what they did. And they, um, they started to pray outside of the church for people um, to get well. Because it was Wales, they didn't want to do that as an open-air mission because it basically rains all the time, doesn't it? It's, sort of like it's wet, um, sheep, that sort of thing. Um, so they, they got cafes, and they prayed in cafes for people. Um, and it wasn't ordained ministers. It was, you know, the youth groups, the old people. People just praying for people, and they kept getting well. And then he was just telling story after story of story of God breaking into Wales in these little cafes. And he said, after we started seeing a lot of God's kingdom come in cafes, it began to happen in the churches as well. It's almost like God wants us to get out there, <laughs> pray for people out there. Um, so much he's prepared to turn off the tap inside the church sometimes. 
so that we get out and make a difference. Because you know, if you know Jesus already, you're going to heaven. You're going to be whole forever. <laughs> this is just a transitory life where we have ailments and sicknesses and difficulties and, you know, they come and go. And on, a, on one level, they're massively important and horribly sad and difficult to go through. On another level, they're just not more than a passing, flickering thing on the way to eternity, which goes on forever. <laughs> We're perfection. Because we've got that big perspective of eternity, we can live now through the pain and suffering. There's a shitload of people out there who don't know anything about anything about God's love for them. And that's where he wants to get us out to. So he sends these guys out. And anyway, they go and do the stuff and people get healed all over the place and start following Jesus. And, and then he goes just in the next chapter. He says, right, we're going to get another six times 12 people, which is 72, I think. And we're going to send them out as well. And he just keeps replicating this thing, two by two, going out, hang out with people who like you, uh, do some good stuff for them with the gifts God's given you. When they say, oh, you're really nice, say, actually, it's not me. It's, it's something to do with God. It's not, it's not about me, it's him. And then people get changed again and again and again. It's incredible. Incredibly simple. It's an entire strategy. It doesn't cost a penny. <laughs> and it changed the whole world. Jesus' strategy for leadership development is to show you what to do, to teach you his ways, to chuck you in at the deep end, and then say, go on in, have a go. See what happens. And if you fail, like Popeye on the video, his next strategy is to pick you up bust you up and say, look, watch me do it again. Off you go. Have another go. And so you're just running naturally with it. And then he'll say, look, I'm going to have another six lot of 12 peoples. You tell them what you did. That will help them. That will get them going. And we're going to go around the square again. Just train, train, invest, train, train, invest, train, train, invest, train. And suddenly, the world is changed. See, is Christianity complicated? Not really. Is it really, really difficult to talk about God and Jesus? Not, not so much. He's out there doing mission all the time and just looking for people to join in with what he's doing. I wonder if those prayers that you've prayed on summer conferences and other things might be nagging away at your heart right now, going, yeah, God, I said I'd do that stuff. It sounds really difficult. I don't want to do it. And if it is, then maybe he's trying to say to you again, look, the first people I chose didn't think they were very good. I had to change their names. I had to leave out the 50% who are probably going to be the most competent because it was culturally inappropriate. <laughs> so I only had to choose the blokes to begin with. <laughs> I had to leave out the hot shots for a while. And uh, one of them was a traitor. <laughs> and if they could have a go, why not you guys tonight as well?